2: The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up everyone welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show episode 398 we've got a special episode closing out the new year I didn't want to tease it on the last episode because I wanted to make sure the interview was done and in the bank and I just got off the phone with Michael King Yankees pitching prospect he debuted in uh, in the bigs at the end of last year and he was so much fun to talk to I think you guys are going to love this interview. He's he's deep on pitching analytics and mechanics and adjustments, and I think you know he spoke very highly of uh, Cressy Sports Performance, which is Matt Blake uh, connection and, and all that kind of stuff. We talked about his debut and what was going through his mind, and, and just a, a, a ton of different things. Really, really fun uh, fun guy to talk to. So so definitely looking forward to you guys listening to that also want to announce that George's Box Podcast is coming back Wednesday, the 1st, for 2020 New Year. George's Box will be back. JJ will have a very special guest on with him that day. I'm not going to tell you who it is. You're going to have to subscribe and download and give it a listen to find out who that guest is, but you're not going to want to miss it. And, um, you know, Scott and I will continue to be doing our thing on a weekly basis, hopefully get more of these interviews out and one-off episodes Um, in your feed so you can enjoy them uh, over the holidays so happy new year everybody stay tuned for the for the interview with michael king and don't forget to listen to george's box on wednesday Joining the podcast now is Michael King, happy to be bringing him on. He's a fellow Rhode Islander. I talk about Rhode Island many times on this show because it's a small state, so I got to represent you are one of the few uh, baseball players to make it to the majors from Rhode Island. Michael, what's up?
3: Nothing much, but I have the best state in the world, so (laughs) I I appreciate you repping.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's the best state for for many things and then also maybe the worst state for a lot of things, but we we won't (laughs) get into that. Um, yeah, it's like, that's why when Rocco, when the Yankees played the twins in the playoffs this year, I obviously wanted the Yankees to, to kill them, which they did, but a part of me was happy for Rocco Baldelli to have some success.
3: Oh yeah. And I, I don't know if you know him at all. He's such a good dude. Uh, he kind of became a mentor to me when I was in college, um, cause it was his younger brother, Dante, that was looking at Boston college when I was there. And, uh, so that's when I first met him and he's just like really relaxed, chill guy and so willing to help. And so I was only, I think I was, I think it was my junior year at the time when I met him um, and actually had like in-depth conversations with him. And I, I, you could totally tell that the twins were going to be great with him just because of, of the leadership that he has and just the mentality that he takes into the baseball game. So I'm happy for him too.
2: That's awesome. Did, did you have a connection there because of Hendrickon? Cause I know you went to Hendricken. I mean, and he was there a while before you, but he's probably takes a lot of you guys, you know, take some time to uh, take you under their wing.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that probably was the initial um, time that I met him was kind of through Hendrickson. Um, But I never really – I I probably was too young to even realize who he was um, or, like, be able to ask him intelligent questions where he can actually help me out because he was so so much more advanced than I was at the time. Um, So then once I started getting into baseball and really enjoying it and learning the little intricacies about the game and then asking him questions about pro ball – and everything he 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 was already gone through it at the time, so um, it, it's it's cool to have him in my back pocket. And he texted me when I got called up, and so I, I know that he, he's a resource that I can have for the rest of my life.
2: Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I mean that's that's got to be something that um, you know for you going through such a, a crazy time getting called up or just you know going through minor league systems getting traded you got traded from the Marlins to the Yankees there's got to be like a million things running through your mind to have someone like Baldelli or or anyone in the clubhouse to go to for just like random questions like i'm sure there's things it's almost like when you go to college right for the first time and just like uh oh, where's the dining hall like like just simple <laughs> questions to be comfortable in, in a clubhouse is probably important
3: yeah, yeah. Him and uh, I don't know if you know Tommy Penone. He also went to Hendrickson. He's uh, yep. in the leagues with the Blue Jays right now. But he, so he, I actually played with him at Hendrickson, He's a year older than me. Um, and so he also got he got called up last year for the first time in just eighteen. And um, uh, so he's another resource that I had. So Hendricken really opened the door uh, to a lot of these guys for me. Um, and so yeah, I, I owe Hendricken a lot more than, than they think.
2: Yeah, yeah, they always killed us. I was I was with Tolgate and the, the one time <laughs> the one time I got on the field to play them, we got we got destroyed. Well, you know what I wanted to ask you? So when you were in school, did they still have the grass base paths?
3: Uh yes. What, paths.
2: what is that about? That was the weirdest thing. Like ah. from home to first and then from third to home, just for people listening, there was grass, not dirt. I, I just like never seen anything like that.
3: I, I to this day still have no idea. I, I think that they changed it uh, within the last few years because they totally re the whole field. Um, so I think that they changed it, but yeah, it, it, it was it was definitely it was definitely weird. I, I've never seen it before either.
2: Yeah, did you see people trip? Because I, I was worried about tripping when I was running down the base path.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think so, um, but uh, and I I, I don't think i was worried it was a whole, maybe it's a little field advantage you know yeah you want to get a trip on run it
2: anything to get into the <laughs> opponent's minds i guess right
3: yeah <laughs> yeah that, that, that led to our dominance i guess yeah.
2: yeah so uh growing up in rhode island were you a red sox fan
3: i got a weird story about it um so my dad's from boston born and raised in boston my mom's from upstate new york and uh they met in upstate new york but then my dad raised me boston everything um Celtics, Bruins, Patriots, and Red Sox. And um, it was the 2003 World Series where Boone hit the walk-off. Or, yeah, the ALCS when Boone hit the walk-off. And my dad had tickets. I think it was Game 3 in Fenway. And it was like a, I I don't know, Tuesday night or something. Or it was a Sunday night. And my dad was a news anchor at the time. So he wasn't working on the weekend. All all good. We're going. We're in the T. Um, about to get off at the Fenway stop, and uh, over like the loudspeaker in the T, they said that the game was canceled, postponed to Tuesday because of rain. My dad's the uh, six and eleven o'clock news, so he couldn't go uh, on Tuesday. So he gives the tickets to my mom, and says you have to take him. Like it's Red Sox Yankees ALCS, like you cannot pass this up. So I go with my mom. My mom's a diehard Yankee fan. Her favorite player ever is Mariano Rivera, and the Yankees win the game. Mariana Rivera closes it out and my dad gave me 20 bucks to get a souvenir and I get her Yankee hat. <laughs> and, uh, cause like seeing my mom, oh, and she's the, one of the biggest baseball fans I've ever met. Um, so it wasn't like I just went with someone who didn't even care about the game. Like she was so into the Yankees winning that it made me kind of, and I, I'm seven, I think I was seven years old at the time. So it's like, I, I didn't really have stock in the Red Sox. And so I came home and, my dad was so pissed at me. I, I just remember him, like, stabbing himself in the heart with, like, a fake knife. Yeah. And because he was so mad at, it, at me for doing it, at me being a rebellious little seven-year-old, I was like, I, I need to be even more of a Yankee fan. So I ended up becoming a Yankee fan from there on out. But I still... I'm still like a Patriots. I'm kind of a, a weird fan because I'm a Patriots fan, a Celtics fan, and Boston's had so much success. So it looks like I'm just a bandwagon guy. But, yeah, I'm in the um, same
2: boat as you. I'm a Pats fan and a Yankees fan, and obviously, I mean, you play for the Yankees now. So, and I uh, host a <laughs> Yankees podcast, so I get a lot of shit from people. They're like, "You just root for winners." I'm like, "Well, why would I root for a loser?"
3: <laughs> yeah, I guess no, normally now I just tell people that I'm a Yankee fan because I'm on the Yankees, so I don't have to go through the whole story. but Yeah. Um, yeah, there you
2: go. Oh, that's great. So how's your how'd your dad react when he found out you were traded?
3: His, his big line is blood's thicker than dirty water. You know, like <laughs> how the, whatever the, and yeah. dirty water, whatever. So um, that's his big line. Um, and I thought it was going to be a while, because at the time I got traded, I was only in low A with the Marlins. Um, so I really hadn't made a name for myself within the Yankee organization or anything. So I was thinking that it was going to take a while for him to transfer over and, I know like, my sister's boy is like, a huge Red Sox fan, and he said I'm not putting a Yankee shirt on until you're in the big leagues with them. Like I'm gonna root against them even more now. Oh, whatever, and I'm telling you, it was like the quickest change I've ever seen. And my dad now wears like Yankee hat everywhere. My sister's boyfriend wears the Yankee hat everywhere, and they totally transformed. So I-, I got a good, I got a good supporting staff behind this, so.
2: Yeah, I, I'm trying to put myself in those shoes. Like, I can never picture myself wearing a Red Sox hat, but maybe if my future son ends mm-hmm. up playing for the Red Sox, that would be the only scenario in which I'd do it.
3: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and obviously, I don't. I, I think growing up, I mean, honestly, I, I would want to be on, on the Red Sox or the Yankees. Obviously, Boston would be cool just because it's really close to home. Yeah. Um, but then I, I and I always dreamed of making my debut in like the in Fenway playing for the Yankees because I think that that. Rivalry that setting would be unbelievable to play in, and I, I haven't experienced it yet. But I, I just think that that would be so fun to do. So I, that's that's one thing I'm really looking forward to is playing in Fenway with pinstripes on.
2: Yeah, and um, so you 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 made your debut in Texas, and so you were called up, and then you had to wait like a week and a half right before you actually got in a game. <laughs> that's got to be the yep. most nerve wracking thing I can possibly imagine.
3: It honestly, I think it played into my favor. Um, just because like, I, I totally understand where you're coming And it, it almost was getting frustrating because I, w- I think I was there for 11 days before, I, I think it was nine days before I pitched, but I got 11 days of, of service time. Um, and the, the way that it all panned out was I was able to get very comfortable with my surroundings, like with mm-hmm. all the guys on the team, with the facilities, with my routine, I ended up really honing in on it. Um, and then by the time I, it wasn't like I just got thrown into the fire and, the first day that I got called up, I it was a six. I think it was a 6.30 game, and I got to the stadium at 6 o'clock. So if I was pitching in that game, I'd be like, all right, this is a little, little, little crazy and a little quick on time here where I wasn't really able to take in um, all the like, energy in the crowd and, and see how these big leaders work. Um, but being there for a few days kind of let me understand that, and uh, I felt way more comfortable than I thought I would because of that.
2: Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Um, And so we had Ben Heller on on this show a like a year and a half ago. And he was talking about his debut and he actually was warming up in the bullpen and then thought he was going to get in the game. And then something happened where the Yankees scored like a, like a bunch of runs to make it close. I think the Yankees were losing and then they scored a bunch of runs to make it close. So, so obviously he wasn't used as his major league debut in like a tight game. So he thought he was about to go in a game and then had to sit back down and it took him a few more days. So I guess that would be even worse.
3: Yeah, yeah, and uh, so Hawkey, he's he's a bullpen coach when I was there. Um, He plays games with you, and it's probably for the better. I wish he didn't, and I I still call him out for it. But so he would tell me, like, okay, King, get up and just throw, like, a 15-pitch bullpen. You're not pitching the game. You're going to start the game on Friday, and this is on a Tuesday. So I'm like, okay, I'll throw my normal kind of in-between start bullpen, Nice, relax, and then sit down. And it happened twice. And I was like, you're kind of promising me that I'm going to start a game and I'm getting all excited, and then I find out I'm not going to start the game. And um, on the day that I actually got in the game, he said the same thing. He said, it was a Friday. He said, uh, you're going to start the game on Sunday, so throw like your mid bullpen, midweek bullpen and uh, shut it down. And so I was like, okay, sounds good. And I throw like 10 pitches. Only fastball change. I didn't even throw a slider yet. And he said, if it was DJ that he was hitting. And I think it was first and third at the time. He said, if LeMay, he was a bomb right here, are you good to go in the game? And I said, yeah. I mean, I need, like, five more pitches, but I- I'd be fine to go in the game. And he said, all right, shut it down for right now. Just, like, watch this at bat. And if you hit the home run, get those last five pitches, because obviously we get one more, two out in the inning, we get one more out, get those five pitches in, and then you're going in. And I was like, all right, cool. Watch the game. DJ Mayhew hits a single left. It was a line driver at the left fielder. Left fielder runs in, dives after, and it gets thrown. Center fielder backs him up and throws Mayhew out of third. So two runs scored, made it a seven run game. And I look at Harky, I'm like, well, it wasn't a home run, but two runs just scored. Yeah, close and enough. And that's the third out. So now, yeah, yeah. And I was like, and that's the third out of the inning. So now I don't even have another, like, I don't have any more time to throw my five pitches that I wanted to throw. And, um, he he's like, oh, let me see what's going on. So you run to the phone, called down, Larry says you're in. And I was like, all right, here we go. And I just ripped one slider off the mound. It would have went like behind the right-handed batter. And then I ran out to the, to the field. <laughs> so I kind of, it was like a, I was felt so unprepared for it. Um, but Hartman said that he's had a bunch of guys and I can totally see how it happens where they get so nervous because yeah. they know they're about to go in the game and then they just like fold. So, I can see where he's coming from and how he has to play some mind games with guys. Um, But I I, I wish he didn't because I would have 100. Because your midweek bullpen, you're throwing it at like 70%. You're not really firing on all cylinders, getting the adrenaline pumping. And so that's how I was. Um, But he was saying how he does not want people to get that adrenaline pumping because then it gets too much for them to control. Um, And then they totally crumble when they're out there. So I'm, I'm happy with my experience. But um, I wish I had a little bit more preparation.
2: Yeah, that's an awesome story. Yeah, and I I could actually see how that's the best method to go about it. So you're not thinking about it. You're just focused. You know, you don't have to get inside your own head for it. But that run from the bullpen must be surreal. Just like what's going through your mind as you're running into the mound?
3: Yeah, I I had a lot of people um, tell me. That they were most nervous about tripping on their way in because it's the first yeah. time. And, and it's it such a long run. Kind of like, like, like me on running paper. on the
2: Hedrickson field. Yeah, now you know we're <laughs> in the same
3: boat here. Exactly. So I wasn't, I wouldn't have thought about that until I, it was like Justice Sheffield was telling me that was the one thing. The whole, every step he was like, do not trip, do not trip, do yeah. not trip. Um, so now that was, that was like the one thing going through my head. And then I was also thinking the only time that I was ever nervous for a game was my first outing in college. I remember we were in um, California playing at uh, University of Santa Clara, but we were actually playing at University of Nevada. And I remember being on the mound my freshman year with, like, my knees shaking. And I couldn't see the signs, and I thought I was going to balk because my knees were shaking. And that's how I felt – that's how I thought I was going to feel when I was out on the mound. So the whole run in, I'm like, try to calm down, try to make sure that your knees aren't shaking because you don't want to be balking in your first appearance in in the – so yeah. i was thinking that all this would happen and then once i got on the mound and romine met me out on the mound because he never has caught like he i've never played catch with him i never threw a bullpen to him so he needed to know what i threw so i i was just telling him like okay i, I got two same uh slider change up went through everything and the first pitch of my warm-ups i felt totally comfortable and just like i don't know it's what i've been doing my whole life and uh and that's kind of the mentality that I had so. I was fortunate enough to not have that nervous, like those knees shaking and everything. So yeah. It, it was a, a fun experience. Definitely.
2: Yeah. That's funny that you mentioned the trip thing because yeah, just those little things you don't think about. Um, Cause you, like you said, you've thrown thousands of pitches in your life. You can do that, but it's all the, you're not used to the 40,000 people or however many people were there watching you. Plus everyone on TV. Did you have people, uh, did you have family at the game or were they watching at home?
3: Unfortunately, no. So I, uh, when I first got called up, we were in New York. And so I I think there were four games in New York and they stayed for all four games. I had a bunch of friends come to, um, and then we went to Tampa and it, I threw like a a very aggressive bullpen like the day before we went to Tampa. So I told them there's And we only played two games in Tampa. So I said, there's definitely no chance I'm going to play in the first game, but possibly the second. But I was like, it's probably going to come down to, um, to texas because we were still fighting with houston for the uh home field advantage throughout the playoffs so i was like they're probably not going to throw the rookie in pressure situation like mm-hmm. in games that matter um so my mom and dad both thought that uh i wasn't going to pitch until like saturday or sunday in texas and it was a friday saturday sunday series and because friday still mattered but it was like if houston won one won that game on friday or we lost on friday then Uh, Houston clinched and then Saturday, Sunday didn't matter at all. So they had flights to come in Saturday morning and then leave Sunday night. And I ended up pitching Friday, Mm -hmm. Um, but it it was fine. I know they were disappointed, but, um, and I, 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 I don't, I don't blame them. that's a a long trip to get like a last minute flight to Texas and then a hotel and all that kind of stuff. But um, hopefully they
2: get get to see you at Fenway as the first time in the majors. That would be. That'd be like you said, oh, ideal. That would be,
3: yeah, yeah. That that would, that would be <laughs> sweet. So I'll uh, we'll have to try to look at the next year's schedule to plan something.
2: You mentioned you you uh, you know had a little conversation with Romine before throwing. Obviously, he's in Detroit now, so it looks like Higashioka mm-hmm. is going to be the backup. What can you tell us about Higgy? Because you threw to him a bunch in the minors in, in Scranton.
3: Yeah, they, so it was actually the first time I threw to him um, this year as well in, in Scranton. Um, and I absolutely loved working with him. He, he's one of those guys. He has like the driest sense of humor, but the funniest, like wittiest one-liners. And so it's like he'll just be part of the conversation. And he's just a great guy to have in the locker room. Um, and then his customer like he, he, I think he led all of AAA in getting pitches, like pitches that were out of yeah, strikes on calls. He's a fantastic
2: um, pitch framer, which is one of the things the Yankees were talking about why they trust him as being the full-time backup now.
3: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, I'm, I'm a very like, cerebral pitcher. I love knowing everything about the guys that I'm, I'm throwing to like the, the hitters and everything. And um, very rarely do I get a catcher that is also into it just as much as I am. Um, and I don't mind that because then there's kind of, there's no um, kind of like controversy of he sees one thing in a hitter and I see a totally different thing. So there's no conflict of like, I want to throw this, but he wants me to throw a different one. So um, Higgy was one of the first guys that I worked with that did a lot of homework and I didn't know how it was going to go over. And I ended up absolutely loving it because now there were so many things that a catcher can see that I can't see, whether it's uh, a verbal cue that, that a hitter actually says something under his breath about some pitch or a different movement that I can't see from 60 feet away, but he's literally right next to him that he can see. Um, and then having the trust in him and building that trust made my job so much easier um so I still obviously do all my homework but there I put a lot more trust in him um because not only is he seeing it live in game but he probably already caught that same team same lineup the day before so he knows all their tendencies from what they did uh yesterday just like they're doing today with, with me pitching so mm-hmm. having Higgy I, I absolutely I absolutely love them um and I I know he's going to be great in, in the big league this year uh, for a full year
2: yeah that's that's really interesting so you got you you do your homework you go in with a plan of attack so how much is it all right I know how I'm going to attack this hitter but then on the fly making adjustments based on what you've seen so far in that game or maybe you don't have your slider that day so you're going to be going to something else
3: yeah I mean that basically that's that's the game of baseball exactly what you're talking about so honestly it's it's hitters adjust to the pitcher and then once the pitcher realizes that he adjusted to me, I then have to adjust myself. And, um, and then totally there, there might be in ten starts. I might have all three of my pitches twice. So it's, it's a constant battle of knowing, yeah, this guy can't hit sliders, but I also can't throw a slider for a strike right now. So it's not helping me out that uh, I'm not going to throw heavy sliders in this guy because I can't even throw it for a strike. So you got to kind of, you got to battle that way. So my, my biggest thing is, is I like, planning out the first two at-bats that I'm going to face a hitter. Um, And then because there are times where I like to set hitters up or there are times where I I almost like to – I know a hitter will not adjust in game. So if I get him out one way, I can get him out the exact same way in a second at-bat. And there's also guys that if I'm throwing heavy sliders to in the first first at-bat, he's going to adjust and now think, okay, he's going to keep throwing sliders and I can get him with an inside fastball or something. So that's kind of how I um, game plan. And then I always leave the third at-bat blank and so that's like I have my little sheet where I know exactly how I want to attack him and then it ends up being in between innings I then sit down with Higgy or whoever's catching me at the time and say okay we did this to him and he got me so obviously I did something wrong let's change it up what are you seeing what should we do that kind of thing and then we have a good conversation about okay this is how we're going to attack him in a second at-bat if the first at-bat didn't go over well or if it's now his third at bat, I can say, okay, we did this in his first, this in his second, and dominated him. Should we go back to the first or keep it the same as the second? And having a, another guy there that I can have a really intelligent conversation with helps so much. And even yeah, when he's I not agree. catching, because I, 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 I threw to Kratz a lot um, in AAA as well, and I know we just signed him back to him, I really do. Mm-hmm. Even, like, Kratz is also awesome, but now it's just having a guy that's in the dugout that is also a, like a cerebral mind like that. Maybe Higgy caught yesterday and saw the same team, and now they're on a crack. So now all three of us are having a great conversation about how to attack hitters. So uh, the Yankees definitely surrounded me with a lot of like smart people, intelligent people that know the game really well that really helped me um, move through. And that's not even coaches; that's that's all that's all players, right? And obviously the coaches had a different element.
2: Yeah, and speaking of coaches, so they just uh, hired Matt Blake to be the pitching coach, and I know you have a little bit of a history with him at Cressy Performance, right?
3: Yep. Yep. That's what, yeah. I'm down in Jupiter with, with Cressy. Um, okay. So, it, it, and that, that's where, that's where I do all my offseason workouts. I've been going to Cressy since I was 14. Um, I was a sophomore in high school when I first heard about him and he had like a, a really little, little shop going on up at Hudson, Mass and that was expanded to a huge facility in Mass and now a huge facility in Jupiter that he just opened. Um,
2: So how excited but, were you yeah, when you that, found out that he was going to be the new Yankees pitching coach?
3: Uh, I mean, it, it was, it was incredible. I, I knew that Cressy was talking to um, the Yankees just about little changes that were going to happen. And Cressy told me like, yeah, there's going to be some stuff that's happening. Cause I've had, I have such a great relationship with Cressy. And then if he thought there was going to be any changes, he would ask me uh, my opinion of what I've seen throughout the organization. And then one day all he did was send me like the eyes emoji. And I was like, <laughs> what What the hell is this? And <laughs> Probably an hour or two later, Matt Blake was announced as a pitching coach. And I was like, you've got to – That's awesome. He wouldn't let on because it wasn't public knowledge. But I was like, oh, my God. So I've never had Matt Blake um, with me while I'm throwing a bullpen, like really coach me. But I've had numerous conversations with him just because he's a baseball man. And so going throughout high school and everything, before he got um, hired by the Indians, I used him as a a big reference. Um, Whether it was just like arm care type stuff or pitch sequencing – um, and then he ended up working with one of my best friends uh, when I was at Boston College, Justin Dunn, who's now the big leagues with uh, Seattle. And so he worked with him one-on-one a lot. So then I was able to kind of pick Justin's brain about how Matt Blake's helping him out. And I, I just, I, I know it's going to be a great fit. So I, I thought that was an, an unbelievable hire, not just for the Yankees, but obviously like for me because I, I love the guy. already.
2: Yeah, and the Yankees have become more data and technology driven over the past 5 years I think with a lot of their hires and a lot of the way they do things and I mean Larry Rothschild seemed like obviously he was a great at what he did but this move makes sense I think for the direction that that Cashman's going so I think a lot of people are excited about it too and to hear you talk about it is definitely exciting and uh, obviously yeah. obviously Garrett Cole is exciting too and oh uh, my god and um you know yeah. you're going to I'm sure you'll be in spring training you were in spring training last year um and hopefully you'll be up up on the majors uh, at some point this year but You know, what are you – are you looking forward to getting a couple minutes with Cole just to pick his brain?
3: 100%. That was the the first time – obviously, I knew he's like, an an incredible athlete. But the first time that I actually heard him speak about how he approaches the game, it was a post-game interview. I don't know if it was the ALCS or in in the World Series. And I just remember him being on field talking about his his outing that he just had. And he broke down the game like he, he knew everything about baseball. He talked about how he was attacking hitters, how him missing spots really hurt him. And he obviously dominated because he he pitched so well in every game that he pitched in the whole year. But he was like nitpicking the smallest little things. And I remember being like, this guy is a stud because he throws a hundred with one of the best breaking balls ever. Unbelievable command. And he's also a student of the game. It's not like he's just some freak athlete that totally works off his athleticism. He, has all aspects of the game totally at, like in his hand that he is totally using to dominate baseball. Um, so I can't wait to pick his brain somehow. I always try to. Uh, I don't want to be like the, the schoolgirl that's like <laughs> drooling over the over the guy. So I, I don't want to be that. Like you want to play it cool? All these questions. And yeah. So I, yeah. I'm gonna. I always tell my dad because my dad's big on like, oh, you gotta ask this question. You got you gotta talk to this guy. And I, I'll say like, the time will come where like, there will be a time where we're randomly standing next to each other and I say something and that just sparks a big conversation. That was, I don't know Paxton talking about like his one cue in his mechanics that he wasn't doing early on in the year. You know how like he totally flipped the switch and then mm-hmm. dominated for the last half of the season. And it was one cue in his mechanics that he had to get to. And so he was kind of, it was me um, and Stephen Tarpley and we were standing there just, I think it was during BP of a, of a Tampa Bay when we were in Tampa Bay and, Uh, he just goes off on this one cue and now it like totally makes sense. And so it's those little conversations that I hope to have, or that I'm going to kind of seek out with uh, a Garrett Cole that um, could make a huge difference in in my career.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you're, so what is now between mid February when pitchers and catchers report, what does that look like for you in your off season?
3: So I, uh, because I, I was hurt a lot of last year, um, I normally take two months off from throwing, but I'll, I'll be lifting the whole time and then I take my eight weeks and then get a ball back in my hands. And it's just good to kind of get a baseball out of your hand, get away from the game for a little bit um, and then kind of get it back going. But so I took October and November off of last year in 2018. And then because I got hurt, I was shut down for February. I started throwing in March, got a setback. So then I was, I shut down for April and May. Um, so because I was shut down for basically five months last year, I only took two weeks off this year. So mm. I started up a lot earlier. Uh, normally my first bullpen is usually right around this time, right after new years. Um, but I've been, i I've, I threw my, what is that sixth or seventh bullpen? Um, and I, I normally kind of go into spring training with 10 under my belt. And this year I'll probably have like 15 or 16 under my belt. Um, so my, my biggest thing is I'm really working on, uh, my slider right now. And, your slider you usually don't introduce into your bullpen routine until like your, your fourth, fifth bullpen. Um, and so I might get four bullpens of my slider before I actually have to face hitters with it. Um, and I know that that's definitely the the worst pitch in my arsenal that I really need to hone in on. Um, and so because I'm able to throw my bullpen, or I started throwing my bullpens earlier, I'm now able to really throw that more. Um, and I, I don't want to, go into spring training with it still being a work in progress so having those extra five six bullpens this year makes me a lot more confident in throwing that um to hitters once i'm actually there and then obviously being in big league spring training you're facing the best the best hitters in the organization in in the world so yeah um i can't i'm not going to get away with a with a with an okay slider um so I, i needed to be in top shape by mid-February
2: yeah and that's got to be also kind of weird right because some guys are there they're on massive contracts and they've been in the bigs for 10 years so they might just be working on things and then other guys are there to to prove themselves and so that's got to be a kind of a weird dynamic
3: yeah yeah definitely um luckily the Yankees have so many good veteran players I know like CC was one of the was one of the best um and they they there's obviously like a constant battle between the guys that are trying to fight for a spot and the guys that are trying to keep their spot, because obviously I, I don't, I don't want to spend my career in triple a. So I, I have to beat somebody out at the level above and that's just how it works. And it's not like none of us wish poorly on anybody else. It's not like I'm hoping that one of the starters has a terrible game. And that gives me an opportunity to go out there. I want it to be everybody all five starters in the Yankees organization have a two ERA, (laughs) but I have a one in triple A. And now it's like, okay, we can't, we can't, we have to make a spot for this kid. So, and the guys that you kind of run into throughout the minor leagues that have the mentality of like, all you guys are dominating and I'm not, I need you guys to have bad outings to then Make my stock rise just totally full. And you see, you see that because that's just, a terrible mentality to have. Yeah, that and, person's um, got that.
2: That per, that person sucks to have around. Just frankly, <laughs> like that's exactly.
3: It's, yeah, it's not a good locker room presence. It's not getting anybody better. And honestly, if all five guys in the starting rotation had a six ERA and you had a five, you're not going to move up because of that. It's right. not like you want everybody to be dominating, but you're just dominating at a higher level than they are. And it's just it, it, so it's it's not a a real competition because you are and. and throughout the whole Yankees organization, there are so many of the guys that just want success of every single pitcher on that staff. And, and that I I truly believe that that kind of led to my success in the Yankees. It it wasn't like I, I didn't, I had a a bunch of good friends on the Marlins that I totally wished success upon, but there are also a lot of guys in the locker room that I knew wished for everybody else to do terrible, but they just dominated. Hmm. And I didn't feel that at all when I walked into a Yankee locker room, um, so, And that's exactly how I felt when I got up to the big league locker room, too. All the veterans that are there, the Brett Gardners, CCs, just take you under their wing and say, listen, this is how we do it. This is how it's, it's going to be done. And we want you to be the best possible pitcher because we, we just want to win a ring. We don't care who is on the mound. We don't care who's at the plate. Just get the job done, and we're all going to be happy.
2: Uh, the last thing I want to ask you is about the baseball itself. And I'm sure you've heard about like all the juice ball and the seam height c- controversy throughout the entire season but AAA used that ball too this year did you notice anything different with the baseball when you're just like picking it up and and you know feeling it this year
3: um there, there's definitely a big difference between the minor league ball and the big league ball um and there, there is definitely a big difference still between the triple a ball that we used and the big league ball um mm-hmm. like going from triple a to big leagues there's still a, a big difference um to me i don't mind it um, I'm a ground ball pitcher. I live down at the bottom of the zone, um, so if I elevate a fastball, it should get hit. Um, and I know a lot a lot of pitchers say the same thing, like, "Well, I still miss my spot." So yeah, the hitter probably deserves to to get me on that one. um There are still a, the freak hitters. I know like Pete Alonso had so I, I watched a highlight of Pete Alonso that he was hitting home runs that were nowhere even near the zone. um So there are those freaks that you still make a good pitch and um, they still get you, and that could have something to do with the baseball, but I always felt that the higher seams actually move less than uh, the lower seams. And um, I know you can't grip it as well. So that's, that it kind of, you gotta work with it. So the basic, the basics of a, of a baseball, the seams are what rip through the air. So it ends up causing the ball to stay true wherever you are, like wherever the ball is in, in space. So a two seamer, like what I throw works because I'm able to keep one of the, like the leather side of the baseball, the flat side of the baseball where no seam ends up cutting through the air. So wherever that flat side is, wind is actually able to push it down into the right for me, like a, in a two seamer. Um, and so the higher the seams, the easier it rips through the, the air where the lower the seams, it makes it so there's less friction throughout the air. and I'm actually able to get more, um, more movement on it. Huh. So, I believe that, but like it's different for a slider because you need to be able to grip a slider and rip a slider, and my slider isn't great, so I maybe would be better with a a bigger seam. Um, But the distance I think of the baseball is just because when it's wound tighter, it obviously can can go further. So that to me, I'm trying to look at the positives of it and be like, okay, maybe I can throw my two-seamer with a lot more horizontal movement than it, I would if it was a, um, a higher-seam baseball. So I'm going to try to look at the positives of it, but I honestly I think that that's the game of adjustments like we talked about where yeah. if the ball is going to be in the air, going to go further, we got to keep it down or whatever it is. Um, so i got to keep the ball on the ground some way, and, and the only way I know is to, to sink it and keep it below the knees.
2: Yeah. Well, everyone's just trying to launch now, so even low low pitches, they're trying to just hit in the air, golf out, but...
3: Yeah, yeah, and that's where, like, the pitchers, uh, like, yeah, the game of adjustments, where it used to be almost swinging down at the baseball, because it's harder to get an out on a ground ball, and then I remember, I think it was, it was when I was in 2016, there was some crazy stat, like, 86% of balls hit on the ground in the big leagues, with shifts, and with how good the defenders are, were outs, so... Why would you put the ball on the ground when only 13 or 14 percent of balls hit on the ground are going to be hits? Mm -hmm. So, I it it like totally shifted to now hit the ball up in the air. Um, and I think that the game, like the trends of the game, will totally change. And it used to be that pitchers were sinker slider guys, and now it's four seams at the top of the zone with a big 12 6 curveball. And I guarantee you, it'll slowly start changing in a different direction based on the hitter. And they, like the hitters adjust the pitchers, and then the pitchers gonna have to make an adjustment. So once that happens, you're gonna see a, a lot of different trends happening in baseball. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, hey man, this was a lot of fun to talk to you and really get it in your mind of, of pitching. Sounds like you you go deep, which I, I love because thinking on the mound, I just like that's what a lot of people are doing from their couch at home. So to, to know that the pitcher's out there doing it the same with the catcher, too, it's a lot of fun to talk that kind of stuff. So I appreciate the time.
3: Oh yeah, thank you. It's fun for me, too. I appreciate it.